Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we are going to talk to three generations of Herbecks. We'll talk to Steve Herbeck, Danny Herbeck, and Danny's son, Dax Herbeck. The last times we talked to Steve was on episode 171 and Danny on 157. Recently, three generations of Herbecks were out fishing and Dax caught what would a fish which would make pretty much every one of us jealous so he's got uh, i'd say almost nowhere to go but down with his fishing career but he's got the last name herbeck so i'm guessing it's probably going to still remain going up so it's a very cool story we're going to kind of go down that we'll talk about breaking down shield lakes and then we'll play five questions with steve and danny and that's kind of the conversation for this week as per usual i am joined by brad hoppy with musky mayhem tackle and i am your host jeff and I own Team Rhino Outdoors. So, Brad, well, first off, we should say, you know, we hope everybody has a great Labor Day because Labor Day weekend is coming up, you know, in a couple days, or maybe it's already passed, depending on when you listen to this episode. But hard to believe it's uh, September. I think this is a, this must be our last episode for August then, which means all of our episodes are going to almost be like fall episodes now, which is mind-blowing how fast summer went. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. And, you know, every year goes fast, but uh, for some reason, this year seems to have gone faster than normal for me. And I think you could probably agree with that, too. But, yeah, I don't know. It's something that I guess my parents told me as a, as a kid, that the older you get, the faster it goes. And, man, they were actually right. Yeah, sadly. I think my dad told me the same thing. And it's, yeah, it's too bad that it's that way. I mean, but here we are, you know, last episode in August. Labor Day is right, you know, right here. It's right. It's it's now. Kids are back in school this week. Very crazy how quick it goes. But anyways, I'm sure there's still lots of people, you know, anxious to get out musky fishing. This is the time of year we all love to get on the water. And if you're looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventures, make sure you check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. There is stuff all over the shop right now. I just uh, got a new package again. I say this almost every week, Brad. A new package from Musky Mayhem Tackle, so we'll be reloaded on that by the time you hear this episode. We just got tons of stuff from Drifter Tackle, Jake's, Believers, Hellhounds, all of that stuff, all in stock. I'm trying to think what else is on there. Chaos Tackle, that's restocked. We've gotten restocked on Musky Innovations this week. I'm sure there's other boxes that I, I, I'm forgetting about. If you're looking for rod gloves to protect your rods, we have some with Team Rhino Outdoors logos on them. Uh, I can't remember any, what else, but and also, if you're looking for gear, you're going to check out Musky Mayhem Tackle. And Brad, why don't you give them the lowdown on Musky Mayhem Tackle? Yeah, well, it's kind of crazy. I feel like I do this every week, Jeff. But uh, if you're looking for any kind of blade bait, um, whether it be bucktail, flash boo, marabou, we've got it covered. So pretty much every different size and combination you can think of as well as the option if you come to our website you can create your own and make your own uh customs right on the website and we'll turn them out as fast as we can and brad i don't know about you but i don't have that much to add to this episode i've been spending a lot of time watching volleyball i've been spending a lot of time in the shop so it hasn't been that long i mean it's friday night this is what we do on friday nights it hasn't been that long since we recorded our last episode so i really don't have that much to talk about yeah, I think we should shift gears and uh, get the Herbics on the phone. Let's do it. All right. Our guests on this episode are going to be three generations of Herbics. We got Danny, we got Steve, and then we have Dax. Dax being the youngest generation of Herbics. But 
quite the accomplished angler already from what I understand putting a very nice large fish in the boat and both Steve and Danny were there to share the moment so hey I want to thank all you for taking time out of your Friday night to talk musky fishing with us and let's just jump into the story I mean if you guys want to help Dax along with the story but let's talk about this fish that he caught sounds good so you know it all started off Dax has been bugging me all summer long wanting to go musky fishing. You know, obviously, with a young angler and somebody new to the fishing, you want to make sure everything is as perfect as it can be leading into it, right? So that day prior, I had seen this, actually, the, the big fish that Dax caught. And I got home and I asked Dax if he wanted to go fishing that night. And Steve was at camp as well so i said well we're gonna go out and try and catch this fish if you want to you know hop in it'd be pretty cool if we could get it done here and we wheeled into the spot and the rest is history after that i know he's been walleye fishing and doing all kinds of stuff but has the musky side of things i mean is that pretty new now last year i mean last year we dabbled in it a couple times you know went out on nice evenings and just casted some top waters and got him kind of used to how things worked. And this year was kind of the first year he showed any actual like real interest in wanting to go and, you know, actively try and catch one any second, any chance you can get, he's, he's fishing. So. Well, maybe we can get Dax on here and kind of hear his side of the story. And then maybe we'll switch into basically talking about how you get youth involved in the sport and the, the equipment side and possibly, you know, just how much time you actually put in on that side of it anyway. When I caught, when I caught the muskie, I got really excited, and I didn't know what to do. I got, I got really, really excited. Like, almost like the best moment of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and when I caught that muskie, I knew that I wanted to catch more. I just, I knew it. Catching my muskies would make more fun for me than catching walleyes. Like, little, I want to be fishing big, big game or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to be catching big fish. So, Dax, how old are you? Six. Six. Catching it. And how big was the fish you caught? 53 inches. So, pretty much most of the rest of his life is going to be ruined trying to chase a bigger fish than that. Huh? Yeah. He's got a pretty high bar to high bar to, uh, accomplish now. Well, if the kid's any bigger, I mean, I had to hold his belt while he was wrangling this one in. So hopefully it'll be when he grows a little bit bigger before he gets a lot bigger. Cause I think I going to be there to hold his belt for him. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was it was a pretty cool it was a pretty cool deal. Um, it just so happened the fish had set back up to where it was earlier in the day, and I was actually doing the casting, and he was you know retrieving it in. And the fish, the minute the bait hit the water, I handed the rod over to him, and the fish, you know, it came in and was just wound for sound and ate the bait right at its feet. So it was a it was a pretty cool deal, you know, to see the excitement and you know, everything that was brought to somebody, you know, that had never experienced it. I mean, it, you could tell obviously from the little bit, he said he's, he's hooked for life. Now he's over walleye fishing. Right. So 
Well, after muskies, pretty much everything else is based, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool because I saw, I saw Dad's hand shaking like a leaf, and I haven't seen that happen for a while. And it certainly reminded me of the time that Danny caught his first. And uh, it's pretty cool to watch your son and your grandson catch their first big fish and and uh, the adrenaline and excitement that goes along with it. It's, it's a pretty emotional deal, too. You know, it's really cool. Yeah, when I, when I seen the post, I thought, man, that's incredible. And then when I found out you were in the boat as well, I, I was just blown away, and I, I I knew that it was emotional. I knew that it was a big day, so definitely thought maybe we should share it. Yeah. How many years has he been fishing, like, walleyes and everything, Danny? I mean, it, this isn't something oh, that just happened this year. No, I mean, this is like going for, on this year. Yeah, yeah, for him being six years old, he's a little wise beyond his years, obviously, when it comes to the fishing side of things. I mean, he's been in the boat from the minute he was in a – you know, in a car seat basically. And, um, he's given me grief half the time we're fishing saying I'm not running the boat the right way or I'm going too fast or I'm doing something already. So, um, you know, obviously I got to be on my toes when he's, when he's with me now and be on my A game. Cause he knows, he knows the do's and don'ts already. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty special. Uh, it's pretty special. I, you know, we all know where Danny's at and, you know, I'd say Dax is, is a step ahead of when Danny was. 100%. And, and Danny was a pretty quick learner and amazing child from the get-go. And I don't know, this kid's got the genetics, I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's really cool. Let me ask you guys this. So with you, um, the burnout factor, I know so many people talk about they're nervous about burning out their kids. How did you combat that, first of all, Herbie, with Danny? And Danny, kind of what's your game plan with that? Well, I just never, you know, pushed him. Like some people push their kids. I think they want the kid to emulate what they want to be. I think it was just very important that when Danny was growing up that his passion dictated when we went and and it just, it was just so much passion that whenever we wanted to go, we made the time to go, whether it was after I got done guiding or after school or whatever. Um, you know, it was on his terms, not me pushing him to do it. And I think that's pretty important with kids in hunting, fishing, sports, everything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that 100%, Herbie. And I think it's a challenge because there's times when you don't want to leave the water. But, you know, <laughs> I, I've dealt with it with my own daughter, right? I mean, there's times that she wanted to go and we, we would stay a little longer. But I also would take her off the water when she was ready, right? I, I didn't want to push it over the top because we all know we, we do that from time to time as fishermen ourselves. But that burnout factor thing is a scary thing with kids. There's no question. I mean, and, and up here, I mean, obviously we have it a little bit easier than a lot of people, right? Like we have, you know, one of the best fisheries right on our back door. So it's easy to hop in a boat and go when conditions are right. Or, you know, you know, you have a high, high success rate going into it. 
so that makes it easy. But I mean, you know, obviously if things aren't going the way you had them planned, you know, and I, you can, you can sense it when the, when the kid's not into it, you know, like we Dax and our daughter spend just as much time swimming behind the boat when we're fishing as they do fishing. You know, you can't go into it thinking you're going to get a full day hard fishing out of a lot of these kids. You got to break it up. And, you know, when, when the times aren't right for say for muskies, you know, switch gears to some walleyes or bass or whatever to kind of keep the, the interest rate, you know, their interest high. Right. So. Agreed. 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 Yeah. I, I don't know. It's a challenge. Right. And that, I think, uh, we all want to push, 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 but I think, uh, Herbie nailed it when he said that, uh, you just kind of got to let them drive that boat. So that's super cool. So I got to ask, you know, you, you mentioned that, uh, Herbie, when you got Danny, his first fish, how old were you then, Danny? Danny was three and a half when he caught his first muskie. It was a sucker fish. And then he was Dax's age when he caught his first fish actually captured himself. Awesome. The first fish, he had the butt of the handle between his legs, and he had his arm, other hand on the forearm, and he was just a cranking. It was three inches <laughs> under the... It was only like a 36 or 38 inch, or it was three inches longer than him. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff, man. That that makes for really cool memories. That's for sure. You actually, you should actually post those pictures. Yeah, Danny's got them somewhere. I got one somewhere. I got a real <laughs> nice mullet. I got a, got a real nice mullet and everything in the picture. I actually looked at it not long ago. That's awesome. Jeff, you still got a mullet, don't you? No mullets. No. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Truth comes out. I know. <laughs> That's I awesome. I can't grow a beard to grow a mullet anymore. <laughs> so how soon is Dax going to be taking out guide trips? Well, we'll see. He's got to he's got to start driving the boat more instead of just fishing now. Going to have to get back and start running the trolling motor. Mm. I would probably only know how to run the trolling motor when I'm like ten. Think ten? Ten's a good age. Okay, we'll shoot for ten. Danny, we might have heard it before. How how old were you when you started guiding? Uh, I started running the boat when I was twelve. Getting paid by my dad was actually another story, but um, <laughs> yeah, well. I gave him a 16 footer with a with a 15 oars on it, and uh, his limit was the edge of Myers Bay. And he'd ask people, "Hey, you want to go out tonight after supper?" And guy, I said, "Sure, how much?" And he'd go, ten bucks for ten bucks if you catch a fish. Nothing if you don't. We'd reel over in the reeds, catch him a snake norther, and then they'd be off to his fishing. <laughs> you know, 12, 13, he, he would take you know, good friends that were uh, regular guests out. And, you know, for the longest time, there were some days he would catch, before he had his own boat, he was catching as many fish off the dock as some of the guys were out on the lake all day. So we knew it was time, you know. So, Danny, uh, I got to ask, you know, equipment-wise, with you, you know, a five-, six-year-old, what kind of uh, reels are you using? What rods are you using? Are you just basically using what you would use? Well, for the amount that we're doing it now, we're just using like my 
you know, my lighter musky setup that I throw on a daily basis. But like when he does show some interest in actually going real, real hard and, and getting into, you know, potentially like a half day or full day of fishing, you know, something that, you know, you got to have a little bit shorter rod for him, obviously something that seven and a half to eight foot, you know, like a medium light, you know, they're not, not a medium light, like a medium heavy or something that they're going to, you know, they're not going to be throwing bigger baits, obviously. Right. So, and even, even like those, you can put a bass reel on them. Now, a lot of those bass reels are, you know, geared perfectly and can withstand throwing the, you know, the smallish type musky baits. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I know that's what I did with my daughter. And this year she kind of graduated to a 300 tranks. Um, but she's a pretty small kid. So, it's amazing though those Corrado three hundred. I think it was a DSV that they used to make. They work great as a musky reel, and I, I think I had sixty pound tests on there. So it actually would hold quite a bit of line. They're easy to cast. They're small and they're comfortable that way. The three hundred tranks though is a, a pretty good option after watching her and try. You know she's trying to burn bucktails in, and I'm like watching her just painfully doing it. And I'm like, man, we got to get her a high speed something, you know. So we switched over to the 300 tranks this year. And another cool option that, you know, St. Croix with the new graphs that they've come out with, that has really improved her handling of the rod as well. So definitely something that I would consider if you're looking at getting into some youth fishing. Yeah, I mean, most of the time, you know, when they're younger, you're going to be having them throw, you know, like your smaller bucktails or, you know, starting out, it's hard not to have them throw in top water. That's about the easiest go-to, you know, go-to bait. And, you know, when they, yeah, and when they do get a fish, it's, you know, to follow, it's so much more visual for them because they're, you know, the fish is right up on the surface, obviously, so they can see it coming, you know, from a ways potentially, right? So that's kind of where we're at with Dax is, you know, step now, obviously when we do go out and fish more than, you know, a couple spots is get him on some easy stuff and, you know, stuff that doesn't burn him out real quick. So you could fish, you know, three, four or five hours if you wanted to. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I'm on the water. Well, that, and you know, you see, I see it time and time again, you know, dads bring their, you know, younger kids up and a lot of it is they just get fatigued. You know, they get it's not that they're not into it, but trying to, you know, throw a rod that's too big, a reel that's too big. It just, it burns them out because they're having to work so much harder to, to move the rod and, you know, to turn the handle on the reel, you know? Yeah, Brad, that, you were bringing up that St. Croix line. That, that, I got a downsizer rod to the 300 e, uh, e, what is it? E, 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 G, e, G, e, J. E, J on it just for kids and women and man that i mean he almost let go of it almost floats away and i think that's key you know a, a, a light rod with a little little bit more flex to it so that they they don't have to heave it that does the work and and throws the bait out there it's a nice nice light small reel i think that's that's a big key you know, and and having set rights so if they aren't struggling with backlashes and things like that, you know. You know, one of the things to consider, too, is I've noticed anyway that their hook sets are a little bit softer than uh, most adults, right? And, and that power is another thing to consider. 
Well, I think uh, we kind of covered a little bit of that youth side of things. I'm sure it'll present some questions, and and uh, I'm assuming that people will ask at shows or potentially email us or whatever. But uh, definitely some cool points there, and that, that story with Dax is really, really cool. Well, congrats on that, Dax, and uh, congrats to both of you Herbics, cause the older Herbics as well, because uh, that's a pretty special deal. Yeah. So I'd like to switch gears and maybe kind of bring the audience up to speed on what they should expect when they try to approach a shield lake. Cause you guys are up there on Eagle. You're at Andy Myers lodge. Eagle kind of presents that whole shield feeling. And I, I think it's very similar. Maybe you guys will think something different, but we can talk about how an angler should approach a shield lake for the first time or even a second time, third time, whatever it might be. But, if you guys could bring some good points to the table on exactly what you should be doing when you've come to a shield lake. Go ahead, Darren. Start out. So, you know, there's, I mean, obviously when you're approaching, you know, any big shield lake out there, they're all the, I mean, like you said, they're all very similar. Um, there's, you can't look at them as just, it's the same every year. So, I mean, there's, there's factors you need to take into consideration. Like last year we had, extreme high water and this year you know from last year's high water to this year's water we're probably a total fluctuation of seven feet difference so and we're actually probably two and a half feet below normal water level this year so if you were to fish you know eagle last year and came this year it's completely different so i mean you have to kind of before you start approaching it that way, you have to kind of take, you know, obviously water level factors and, you know, and what the summer has been leading into weather wise. But those are, you know, obviously finer, smaller points to look at. But when you're first, you know, approaching a lake is, you know, like what I tell people is these lakes are huge and don't look at the whole thing on the map as one lake, you know, pick one basin in particular and work that and fish that and get comfortable with that before you start branching out because the way one basin fishes, you know, next to another basin, they may be a little bit similar, but they're completely different too, like on, you know, water clarity and, and things like that. So take a look at the map, break the lake down and pick one area to learn and get comfortable and figure out before you start, you know, trying to figure out the whole lake. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's that's a very important point that he just brought up because that's what I see a lot of first-time anglers to Eagle Lake. I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I first stepped foot on Eagle Lake, it scared the, the heck out of me, and now it seems too small. But by taking one section of the lake and learn it intimately, rather than bouncing all over the place and not getting anything really accomplished much, Learn one area of the lake intimately, and you're going to catch fish, and then and then move on the next year or later on. And really, it takes a whole trip to really learn one section well. And I always tell people then next year, take another guide date or two, and we'll move to another section, and you add it to your repertoire. And then after three, four trips, you got the whole lake, you know, wired, and uh, you know you can kind of move around according to. Like what Danny said there, according to the conditions, time of the year, I'll get in the weeds this year. Maybe it's a rock bite better. Some years, uh, depending upon the time of year, more action is in the weeds. This year, when I first got up here, it was 
70 to 80 percent hump bite, walleye hump bites, which most guys weren't fishing. And now that's changing a little bit, and the fish are doing something different. Some of them are moving up shallow. Like, it almost seems like we're in September, because most people would be fishing exactly the way they would be fishing mid-August. And already we're seeing major changes coming on fast. It feels like the lake's already, like the way the fish, fish are acting, it feels like the lake's wanting, like the way they're acting, they feel like the lake's turning already. A lot of these fish are moving right now, it seems like, off of the, you know, deep rocks, and you're finding a lot of fish in shallow weeds, whether it's just that first initial cool down has triggered that or, or what. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different year. I think the low water has really changed changed things this year, too. And the way the spring hole started, you know, it was cold spring, and then it went, water temperature almost jumped to 80 degrees right right after spawning, and, and then cooled back down. And I think that kind of throws things out of whack for the for the year, you know, and you just got to be really adaptive. And it's not that the fish don't do different things than some than some years are used to. And you just got to keep your mind and your eyes open. And you know, there's so many. There's always so many different patterns, and you you know you go through them, and uh, and then you find out what's what's working best, and then you you work on it till it changes, you know. Let's talk a little bit about what's working best. If somebody's making a trip up there in the next, you know, week or two weeks to come see you guys at Eagle Lake, what's what's something that they have to have with them? It's honestly, it's a day-to-day thing right now. Every day you got to kind of play around with it. A lot of rubber right now when you are fishing rocks, it seems like with this low water, a lot of the areas that those fish would normally be sitting up on top of the rocks, it's just too shallow for them, I feel. So they're off that first initial break. And I, you know, we are starting to see some fish on bucktails again, but mainly, you know, the last three weeks, I could count on one hand how many fish I'd rose, rose or caught on a bucktail. And it was mainly, you know, a deeper rubber bite. Um, just, I think it wasn't that the fish weren't active because they were catching them. It's just the bucktail was kind of out of their strike zone. A lot of these fish were in that 10, that 12 to 18 foot zone off the first initial break when normally they'd be sitting up, you know, on the top and five to eight. And now it's, you know, three to five and it's just, they're not comfortable up there, you know? Yeah. And then Danny's been gone for a couple of days camping with his family. And in the last three days, things have changed like unbelievably how I couldn't believe it can change that fast. And while, like he was saying, you know, the bucktails the last week especially was, you didn't see many fish on them, but when they did come, they came serious. Now, in the last three days, I've gone to the DC-3, and that it's made a whole big difference. Uh, those fish have moved up, some of these fish have moved up shallow, and they're not messing around with that DC-3. It seems that blade, or JR-3, I mean, they seem to... Uh, they seem to lock in on that blade behind it. It gets them into the turn a lot more seriously. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a bigger bait, too. So when they do come, they have to lean it a little more, you know? Yeah, yeah. But in the last three days, I would definitely be prepared for a bucktail uh, presentation along with uh, tubes especially. Um, um, bulldogs are going to start picking up here, but tubes have been very, very good, you know, off the brakes. Um um, now the jerk baits have started, 
have started kicking in. I'm moving a lot of fish and having big fish after flipper, um, suix, stuff like that. So um, it, it's a little bit more, the, the topwater bite has not been fantastic, but we're hoping that picks up a little bit moving forward here with the cool down. But it hasn't been a great topwater bite for us this year. So I would, I would, Eagle's always been a good bucktail lake, but it's been a little bit off. And I suspect that it will kick in big time, so be prepared for it. And uh, always somebody's got to be throwing a blade. And then somebody cats in parallel or, or, uh, or a little bit quicker off the top with, with rubber and letting it work down the brake, uh, bringing it back to the boat. And, and uh, when you get in the weeds, it's a, it's a spinnerbait. Uh, the weeds, because the water's going, going down all the time. The weeds that are up, are now getting very close to the surface or laying. So um, spinner baits and, and jerk baits are king when it comes to that. So I'd be prepared for that, for fishing the weeds, and uh, be prepared for bucktails and, and rubber and some uh, old triple D uh, pounder type of stuff uh, off the edges also. So I'm curious, you know, one of the cool things that, that Andy Myers Lodge provides, every time I've been up there, guys, you definitely care that everybody in camp catches fish. Are you guys still doing weekly seminars and kind of meeting with the people every night and discussing what's happening with the bite? And, um, We're not but, so much doing the long, um, you know, big seminars in the lodge until the fall muskie hunt. But what we're doing is, especially me, I'm hanging around, you know, living right in the lodge and everything. And a lot of the other guides, you know, they hang around and talk with with the guests and stuff right after they get in. But I'm hanging around all night, right? So we're doing a lot of roundtable talking, you know what I mean? Just one-on-one, three, four guys on the table, going over what's been going on, you know, giving tips and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, kind of helping them with their experiences and what they, you know, maybe could try or what patterns maybe they're missing, uh, marking their maps up for where we've been seeing fish and stuff like that. So it's a little bit more of a personal touch uh, during the during the summer uh, months, whereas in the fall where you got 20, 25 serious musky fishermen at one time uh, in camp only, well, then we get more into the, the seminars and 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 the roundtable stuff after that. But um, in the summer, it's really busy. You know, big groups, uh, more multi-dimensional fishing. You know, uh, half, more than half the people are fishing walleye and stuff. So and they're guided. So we kind of take the musky guide inside and the kind of kindred spirit and 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 sit and talk uh, shopping over a table and. Uh, stuff like that you know what i mean it's a little bit more personal but yeah it's pretty cool you know well i've always, I've always been blown away with the mentality i mean you guys definitely want everybody in camp to, to experience a good time and catch fish and i think that's what Andy myers has really kind of set the other lodges apart you know i mean you, you guys are phenomenal that way you definitely are pushing and trying to help people and that's really cool so let's go back and let's talk about you show up your first day. Let's talk about your first day up there, Herbie. You said that you started fishing these humps. Why did you go to the humps? I mean, you obviously had fished the weeds, you fished the rocks, and you weren't seeing the fish, so you 
you moved to the humps. Why did you do that? I've been at this a while, you know, so I, every one of the guys there, most of them, 70% of them worked for me too, 20 years. So the walleye guy, you know, about talking to Danny, obviously three, four days a week leading up, up to it. We talk all the time about, well, how was fishing? And, you know, cause even though I was, Back in northern Wisconsin and southern Wisconsin, guy, you know, my heart is always that eagle, you know, it's just part of me, you know. You know, and I could tell by what he was saying, and here and there, I, I knew he was sneaking a few muskies out of the lake here and there, walleye fishing, and so I knew exactly what was happening. They were chasing up walleyes, and he was ready to get after them with a throwback rod, you know. So I, I saw that picking up, and so then I started talking to the walleye guys, and there were days where the walleye guys were simply catching or having chase in or grab more walleye sometimes than some of the guys cast them for muskies. So it was very apparent what a guy had to do. It's just that not many guys are willing to go out. And see, the one thing is when they're out on the humps and you're just fishing, casting and that, you don't see many fish. You know why? Because they're there for one reason, and that's to eat. So you either get a bite or you think nothing's happening, right? So you have to be aware that that's what's going on, you know? Um, otherwise, uh, a lot of anglers, they're used to seeing fish chasing and out of the weeds and off the shallow rocks and stuff like that. So out on the humps, that doesn't happen as much, you know? So you have to be more, a little bit more disciplined. And, and uh, But the, it was just, it was for... Three, four weeks there, it was pretty amazing, man. But this is nothing new. It happens every year, right? And it's just knowing when it's going to happen. What what triggers it is a really, it's either in, you know, the middle to end of July or this year it was, you know, when it peaked, I would say, was that first week of August. And it's a really hot, flat, dry spell where it's, and then, you know, you're fishing a lot of these rock points and there's always walleyes on these rock points and you kind of start to see the walleyes dissipate off of it. And what it is, those walleyes are making their, you know, their final summer transition to, to these homes. And those muskies are just, well, the ultimate reason these fish sit on these shallow rocks is because there's walleyes off the tip, right? Well, and there's no walleyes there. Where are the muskies going to go? They follow them out to the humps, right? And it's, it's something that is, kind of you know a little hidden gem when times get tough and i mean it can be a phenomenal phenomenal bite but like he did like steve did say it's you know you gotta you know keep your head down because you're not seeing two three four fish off a spot sometimes it's either get a bite or nothing but it's not it's nothing new it happens every year it's just knowing when to do it and seeing the signs to go try right yeah absolutely danny i i agree with that 100 percent um, you know, it's one of those deals where, what's that? It's a lot easier at Andy Myers for us. You know, not only do we know what happens, but there's such a big crew of walleye, um, guides out there and, you know, you hear the chatter, you know, and I you think, know, it's time. I think a lot of that is, you know, we talk about it here and there about networking and, when you start asking questions of other multi-species anglers, you're going to start learning some things. And maybe, you know, I know Danny does both. I mean, he, he does a ton of walleye guiding as well. And it's only going to help him uh, kind of have an idea better of where those fish might be as well. So 
multi-species anglers definitely seem to key in on things and, and they can bounce back and forth and be successful both ways. When Danny's been knuckling down fishing walleyes for a week or two weeks, gnashing his teeth because he wants to be fishing muskies, when he gets a day to, to, or two in a row to cast muskies, he's probably got 15, 20 different big fish located that he's been uh, that have been around the walleyes he's been fishing. You know what I'm saying? It makes it makes a makes a difference when you're on the water. Sometimes on the water, not fishing muskies really sets you up for when you do. You know, absolutely. And that's another thing that just kind of got brought up to me is like when you're you know encountering coming up and say fishing you know a shield lake for the first time is like you know when you're musky fishing day in day out you get stuck. Well, I'm sure we all do on the water every day. You get stuck in a rut. You fish the same stuff. You might throw in a new spot here, new spot there, but you end up making ultimately the roundabout same milk run time and time and time again. Cause you know, there's always fish there at some point and everything. But when I've had some of my best days, musky fishing or days after I haven't fished them for a week or 10 days, I've been stuck walleye fishing. You go out there with an open mind. You go out there with no preconceived notions of where the fish are or what's going on. You just fish. And so like when you come to a new lake, instead of, you know, having a game plan set and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Let the, let the lake do the talking to you. You know what I mean? Fish a little bit of, you know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that and let the fish dictate where you go and, and how you fish. Right. That's, that's another thing that's really important. And don't, don't come in there with a game plan and fight through it and fight something that's not happening. You know what I mean? Or even just getting stuck in those ruts. Because there's name spots. They're going to be on a guy's map that's done any pre, you know, get, getting information before he came to the lake. This guy's going to tell him this spot. This guy's going to tell him that spot. Why? Because they're name spots and they consistently old fish. But those those spots also get pressure. Like I tell people, you got to fish these spots because fish use them. They're stop signs. The fish use them. But if you take every shoreline or any island and go around it at 8 to 14 feet, you're going to find fingers. You're going to find patches of weeds. And, by, and when you just fish that stuff, you'd be amazed how much more bite per fish you encounter happens versus follows per bite. 100%. It's fine. I mean, we talk pressure up here, nothing like what you guys see down in Minnesota. But... I mean, these fish, you know, there is pressure and they do see baits, you know, when they're sitting on those name spots, they might, you know, you know, those name spots might get hit two, three, four times a day and they learn, you know, when conditions aren't right, they, they don't, they don't make mistakes on them as quite as often as fish that have been sitting on a spot or, you know, use a spot over and over again that they don't, they don't get harassed on. Yeah, I think a lot of times when you step out of uh, the realm of what everybody else is doing, that you find success. And it's pretty amazing. I mean, you take a lake like Lake Vermilion. There's those sweet spots where everybody wants to hit. Boom, boom, boom. You said it earlier, a mouth run. Some of the guys that are being more successful up there right now are fishing things that they haven't fished maybe in 15, 20 years, or maybe they haven't fished it at all. And those fish are going to get pressured and push to different locations. So definitely something to consider when you're on any body of water. 
Definitely. I've been taking the memory pills this year and, uh, <laughs> no, and uh, I'm finally starting to remember some of the little hidey holes I used to fish 20 years ago, and they're they're paying off for me on them tough days. <laughs> That's really cool. I had some guys that were going to be going up to Eagle, and I don't know where they were going, where they were staying, or whatever. But they were really nervous because Eagle Lake isn't mapped, correct? But they were worried about hitting reefs. For the most part, most of the resorts up there mark all the rocks, don't they? Most of the stuff on the main drags and stuff that is, you know, out in the middle is marked. If you're using your head, you know, you're not going to really have much to worry about. It's when you're cutting in between islands or too close to points and stuff, some of that stuff, especially with the low water this year, you do, you will have to kind of, use your head when you're running around, you know, closer to stuff. But as long as, you know, the stuff out in the middle is all marked and it's most of it that you're sticking out of the water. At the lower end of the lake, though, in the darker water, it can get pretty spooky. You know, there's there's a lot of rocks that are not marked at all down there. I would say the central and northern part of the lake, you know, like Danny said, with common sense, you're probably going to be okay, you know. I don't think common sense is so common anymore, guys. I was just going to say that. <laughs> you, you don't have to tell me. I see it every day on the lake. <laughs> One thing I wanted to ask you guys about was you were talking about pressure, and it, it just had me thinking, are things pretty much back to normal up there? Like, how's the the bookings at the, the resort? Are you guys seeing pretty much business as usual now? I would say it's just like, you know, Back in 2019, 2018, yeah, it's, it's back to normal. Andy Myers Lodge is really busy, full. It's been since I've been here. But, and some of that, you know, just in the Vermilion Bay, Western Arm area, there's five resorts that are no longer. The small mom and pop places that didn't make it, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of been the survival of the fittest, the bigger places that, you know, did things right and things like that. To, so uh, overall, you know, we have seen what we consider pressure because we're such a big guide staff and everybody helps each other. So we end up fishing some of the you know, same stuff. And we got to, that's what me and Danny kind of do is trying to get We still fish some of that, but we try to get off the beaten path from the younger guys that are fishing the stuff that we've always fished before. But all in all, I would have to say, that the lake is not as busy as it was uh, pre-COVID. It's not, it's it's not, and I don't even think there's as many muskie fishermen as I remember it back 15 and 20 years ago. I think the muskie fishermen that are out there are way smarter and better and better equipped to, to fish a, a big lake like Eagle, but I don't think that there's as many anglers as there was, you know, back uh back 15 even 20 years ago you know so these smaller mom mom and pop places that you're talking about are they up for sale did other people buy them close the resorts use them as cabins you know for themselves personally what what's the story with those that's what you thought of is they're you know guys are coming in buying them and just using them as their own cabin up there basically right okay so i would imagine at some point that's got to keep some pressure down as well yeah, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, like like Steve said, the, the 
the pressure, I mean, there's boats out there. Don't, don't, don't think that it's like a barren sea, but the boats that are out there, I mean, with the electronics nowadays, you know, live scope, mapping, GPS, all that. I mean, when they're fishing a spot, they're generally fishing it the proper way. Now it's not like back in the day when, you know, all these guys were coming up fishing a boat out of a camp boat, had no GPS and a little, little piranha graphs that only showed fish symbols. Right. So, um, the, the guys that are coming up are definitely more in tune with, you know, what's going on and they're fishing, fishing spots properly now, you know? Yeah. It seems like nowadays you call that intelligent pressure, I guess. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I mean, with all the advancements that they've made in technology and everything else and all, all the information available to people these days, it's so much easier to be an intelligent angler than what it was previously. If a guy wants to do his homework, you know, and go on the internet and, you know, get some apps on his phone, there is pretty much everything you need to know out there available. It's, uh, I'm not scared. It's, yeah, it's actually pretty scary what's out there available to uh to fish a big lake if you do some homework all right guys uh wrapping up this episode let's play a little five questions let's go let's see here i'm gonna go with this one how about is the moon a big deal or not a big deal huge deal the biggest deal in my opinion the daily moons i think are very important and the tougher the conditions the more so i think the regular I don't like the full moon during the summer. I like the new moon and I like the full moon in the fall, but the daily moon phases I think are more important than anything right now. Well, especially the way the fish well, leave it to Steve. He's answering my other questions. So then my next question, since we're on moon, let's go with is, do you prefer full moon or new moon? Steve, you kind of went over it a little bit already. Well, Danny might have a different viewpoint. I, in the like he said, like I'm a new moon guy. I it's time and time again. If I look back at all my pictures and all my biggest fish, it's always the new moon. You might see less fish during new moon, but I find they're way more apt to bite. Like this last full moon, there was big fish everywhere. You think you could catch one? I I think they feed more during the full moon at night. You see a lot of fish come in, turn, and take a sh- And you know they've been feeding at night. You know what I'm saying? And it just makes it a little bit tougher during the day. And we, you know, the reason we don't like the full moon is because we can't fish eagle at night. Now, if I could fish at night, I might say full moon is my favorite time to fish, but I, I don't have that option, right? Right. That's why we, we lean towards the new moon. The other factor that you guys probably you don't really have is a lot of light pollution either like you know here in my neck of the woods we got enough people on the shoreline enough cabins houses whatever it might be so you end up with some of that light pollution too that can really change things after dark as well so if you were able to fish after dark you would be pitch black or you would rely on the moon for a little bit of light penetration as well exactly let's go how about Grenade versus cowgirl. Depends on the time of year. August, September, October, grenade. June, July, beginning of August, cowgirl. Just because the fish are generally transitioning for rocks. 
now cowgirl all summer in the weeds and fall. Just depends. The only reason I like the grenade is just so I can fish it so much deeper, right? It's exactly. When we're fishing them deeper breaks and humps, I mean, I'm not saying a, a real hot fish that's hunting ain't up 18 feet after a bucktail, but it sure works a lot better if they've been hanging around the tops of the humps, chasing walleyes around when a grenade comes over the top of their head three, four feet above their head versus eight, a bucktail 18 feet above their head, you know? So it depends on what I'm fishing. If I'm fishing over the tops of reefs and shallow weeds and stuff like that, it's, it's, it's cowgirl time. If I'm over humps and, and want to bring something down over or bring something down over a steeper break or off of a point and bring it down, then the grenade's in my, on my runs, you know? I use the grenade a lot like a two, to be quite honest with you, other than the herky-jerky motion of the of the two. But I use the grenade in a lot of the same situations that I would use a two, structure-wise. So, Brad, it's like almost like I gave him the cheat sheet on some of my questions. Because my next question was, is I was going to go, how about <laughs> Bulldog versus a Medusa versus a Tube? Which one are we going to go with? Right now, it seems like the tube is king. Not that you can't catch fish on a Medusa or a Bulldog. It's just I feel I could fish a tube deeper and faster than I could a Medusa or a bulldog, right? Like in my, you know, in my opinion, speed is what kills when it comes to muskies and getting it in their face and be able to move it as fast as I physically possibly can is what triggers bites. So, I mean, right now I would lean too, but. Right. Yeah. Right now it's too, but ultimately day in and day out, year after year, it's what's happening. You, You mix it up a little bit here and there. Let the fish tell you, and that's what you go with, right? And two, and two, like the weeds, like we've had some wind, and a lot of these are bigger weed weed flats. The weeds are starting to get beat up, and I will throw rubber in the weeds this time of year. And I've had actually in the last week a lot of success throwing, um, like the smaller uh, Savage Gear Alien Eel, which is basically a you know a bulldog and a and a mid Medusa through the weeds and getting a lot of a lot of success on that, whereas they wouldn't, they wouldn't engage something, you know, straight retrieved like a bucktail or, or anything like that. Why, why do you guys think the tube has become such a method? I mean, it's amazing to me in the last year or so, you're hearing everybody's talking about tubes and, and it's tube. I mean, they've been around forever. I think it's awesome. For well, Red it's been, October we've, been, we've actually been used um, very, very heavily up here for about 10 years and really heavily the three or four years before COVID until now. It's just, it's really getting around and out now, you know? Um, but uh, um, I, I think it's, I think it's the, the, I think it's the way they kind of move and, and a little bit more of a gliding, sliding fall to them. Uh, and I think it has to do with that. There's water inside them as well as outside them so it's kind of a water pressure deal and they just have a a little bit different movement who knows the the, the way they move maybe is more bait fish like um again you know even with two same as bulldogs and medusas or anything you're still the magician the bait's still the rabbit you know what i'm saying you gotta pull it out of the hat and make the fish bite it so 
you know, I, I think a bait is only as good as the person working it. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, just because we're catching fish on it doesn't mean I could give it to, you know, the guy in the front of the boat and he could move it the same way I'm moving and catch fish on it. So, but I mean, to, to answer your question, the tube is like the cowgirl of bucktails when it first came out. Like it's the new rubber that everybody's throwing in the fish are biting it. I mean, it's something that, you know, they, you know, besides we were throwing them for a long time that, you know, they hadn't been seen a lot of at, and a lot of it is too, is you're being able to work a bait, like I said, effectively at a deeper zone and trigger bites deeper than what a lot of these, you know, other rubber baits you could fish to get them down that deep. You had to work them so slow that you couldn't trigger a bite. You know what I mean? Like most of these tubes I'm throwing have a three ounce head in them. So, I mean, you have to work them fast to stay off the top of the rocks and I can work them down 15 feet at a pretty fast clip. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was going to be my next question. I, I know that we're doing the five questions here, but I, I'm just kind of, the popularity of the tube has really exploded in the last year or two. And it's, it's kind of interesting. What rigs are you normally using? I mean, you're hearing a ton about the mid depth. It sounds like you're even going a little heavier. I'm, I like to rig up mine with the, the deep rig. I mean, I'm modifying it, obviously the way I'm doing it from straight from, from where you can get them and putting my own stinger system and all that on them because they don't come rigged that way. But uh, I'm typically throwing the, the deep rig head in mind just because, and I'm probably on the heavier side of most guys, just because I, like I said, I like to work my stuff fast. Um, you can use the mid depth stuff. It's just, I feel you can't, can't get as, you know, quick of a fall and more of a reaction bite, you know, at that deeper depth. Right. A lot of it depends on who's throwing it. You gotta be, it's just like there's doggers and there's people that can't dog. You know what I mean? And it's the same with the tube. Like, like we can work a heavy tube and keep it off the snags and, 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 and feel it and visualize it working down the brake, stuff like that, where if you did gave that same bait to a client, you'd be chasing baits all day. So I use more of the mid and even the banana head rig, um, for clients until they become a good tuber. You know what I'm saying? Whereas my own, I usually use the heavier one like Danny said. You know, and there's some exciting new stuff coming along. Um, I'm not going to say a lot about it yet, but you guys will probably know about it. You probably already know about it. But I've been doing very well on some other stuff that's tubular that uh, can be changed, weights changed and stuff like that that's coming along. But until they're finally finished and complete, we'll leave it at that. But there's, a, there's some exciting new stuff along that that realm. And I, I think just the way the tube slides through the water, again, it probably has a different sound than what everybody else is, and feel that sound, the vibration, more like a natural fish, just like what made the bulldog what it was, just like what the vacuum behind the cowgirl did for so long. It's just something different, you know? Absolutely. One thing I found with the tubes is, is that the blades on the back are very popular, and they are. But I think that I do better with the blades on the back in the summer. But when the water was real cold last fall, I did better clean and just let me glide and slide around, you know? There's so many methods that you can rig that tube. I mean, it's really cool. And if you want to get creative, the tube definitely allows you to do that. 
Right. And I mean, too, what's, what's gaining popularity with the tube, it's no different than when you came out with, you know, the double 10 is there's more fish being caught on them because everybody has one and everybody's throwing them now too. Right. So that's, that's playing a factor as well. It's not like, you know, only a handful of guys have them and they're keeping, you know, keep quiet. Everybody has three or four now. It's just like the same as when the, the double 10 came out back however many years ago that was, you know? Yeah, it's just funny how the bandwagon kind of comes together. You know, I mean, Red October's been around a long time, and all of a sudden you're just really, really seeing like a, a supercharged growth of people actually using them and talking about it. And I, who knows? Maybe a lot of these guys were using them and weren't talking about it, but it's definitely become evident in the last year or so. Yeah, the cat's out of the bag for sure. Well, Brad, since you've been taking over, I think you should have to come up with the last question. <laughs> you're the one with all the questions there, Jeff. You're, you're good at that. Oh, well, I'm just reading off my list. I got to come up. I got to add in some new ones so it doesn't sound the same. Even though we have different guests, they give us different answers. But, um, oh, let's see here. Should we talk about, well, since we're getting into that time of year where a lot of people are using bladed baits, do you guys prefer to run single bladed baits or double bladed baits? far as like bucktails go yes i don't think i own a single bladed bucktail that's actually i know i don't that's interesting it's either it's, it's either two or three or four blades <laughs> <laughs> i think the main thing is, is the different combinations of sizes and configurations of blades and you know i i, I think as we get towards fall i do run a big single almost like a big eagle tail type of bait, but tinsel that's weighted about two ounces, you know, a little bit later in the fall, keep, keep a bait down deep. But, uh, but most for the most part, yeah, I'm using two blades or like Danny said, the, the JRs are from right now for about the next three, four weeks, the JRs have always been really good for us out here on Eagle. And I think that cat's getting out of the bag too. And I had to call Brad earlier this year and get a, a handful because after all the fish I caught on them last year, it's the fish that, that come on them, it's, they come hard. Oh, they, I don't think I've, I can count on one hand how many fish I've actually followed and not bit at the boat on it. it uh, it's obviously, you know, like the new, the new bucktail that they haven't seen, seen many of, right? Or it's, you know, just the different vibes got them kind of wound up. Is the JR4 just as effective, or do you like the JR3 better? I like the JR3 just because of the, you know, when you you get that irregular waggle in the back, and the blade's not always truly spinning, you know, a lot of times it's waving, and then it'll spin, and like that, I think that's the key, too, is that, that the weight that the, the blade is spinning, it's not always like a true true bucktail spin, right? And I think that's creating a little bit different sound and vibe. Yeah, it really seems to aggravate them, man. It locks them in on that first important turn, you know? And uh, and not only that, but it reels a lot easier than the JR4. <laughs> that's five questions. So let's, uh, before we get out of here, if you, is, do you guys still have availability to guide people this fall? Kirby, what's your schedule? Where are you at? Um, I'm here till uh, September 2nd, and then I'm in Wisconsin until I'll be back the 1st of October. 
Uh, I know there's a few openings in September yet, and maybe one opening or two openings the first and second week of October. Um, I'm back up there the first of October. Obviously, Danny's there the whole time, and and September's September can be a great month on Eagle, and there's a few openings uh, left in September, but um, not a lot. So if somebody's thinking about you know, making a trip to Canada, I'd, I'd get on it before too long. It's, uh, I personally think it's going to be an awesome fall. The way the summer has gone, um, when I've seen it be going up and down like this um, in previous years, I've seen it several times. It switched into a massive, hot, frantic fall bite, especially the October bite. Well, want to thank you both for, and all, all of you, Dax as well. I, I mean, I know that he was only on for a you know, brief period, but I want to thank him for his time. I want to thank you both for your time. And, you know, we hope that you guys have yourself a great fall. And uh, we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in for another episode. And we will be back with another one next week, Wednesday. 